We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Presented by Under Armour and Sleeper Fantasy. Welcome to Light Years. Samus Fandiari here, sitting in for Andy Lou this week. I got my friend, the host of Hoops Tonight, Jason Timp. Uh, Warriors Kings, you texted me earlier this week. You said these teams are incapable of playing a normal game. Uh, and your prediction came through, though not necessarily in the favor of most Warrior fans. Uh, Warriors lose 134-133. <laughs> and I feel like we have to start with the end of that game. You know what? This is the third time this season there's been a come-from-behind go-ahead shot in the in the final seconds. Mm-hmm. It kind of feels like the right team won each of those games. Like even with the Kings game that they won uh, on the Malik Monk game winner, the Kings kind of outplayed them over the course of most of that second half, you know, and um, I thought the, I thought the game kind of changed there when when Steve Kerr took uh, Jonathan Kaminga out for Dario Sarge with what was it about six minutes left there in the middle of the fourth quarter, and yeah. Dario Sarge comes in and I, I immediately texted you and I'm like, hold on, Harrison Barnes is red hot right now and Dario Sarge is guarding him. This doesn't seem like a, a good idea. And then that ends up not being what hurts them. It ends up being a cross match in transition when I believe it was Steph that fell down. Right. And and then all of a sudden, everyone's kind of pointing at each other about who's going to pick up the ball. And Dario Sarge has to pick up De'Aaron Fox. And he's getting, giving him about six feet of space. He just rises up over the top. And then very next possession, you know, Pizemski's kind of in a similar position where he's kind of on his heels a little bit far back. But it's like De'Aaron had just made one. And mm-hmm. you just knew he was going back up with that one. And, you know, you and I talked a lot during the game about margin for error. And by the way, this is not a problem unique to the Warriors. Like the league's just really deep with talent. Like there on any given night you can get beat by anybody. And I just thought it was one of those situations where, you know, needing a win at home, I thought there was a lot of meat left on the bone tonight. And that just kind of seems like a strategy that's going to that's going to uh hurt this team more often than not. I mean, there there's so many ways you can go with it. Buried the lead like not calling a timeout. I, I get not calling a timeout when you get the rebound, you try to get a shot in transition, but it wasn't there. They had six seconds on the clock. Uh, that would have been the point I would have called a timeout. Like I get immediately trying to push it off the rebound. Uh, usually the best shot you're going to get is in transition. Kings, to their credit, got back, 
played great transition defense on Steph. And this is the sort of stuff where it's like, man, I was ready to rip and roll on lineups and combinations and margin for error. But that's Steph Curry and that's Draymond Green. Those dudes should know how to execute in that moment. They should know to call a timeout. The coaching staff is looking to call a timeout at that point. And it kind of paints to my broader feeling on this team, which is they're underachieving. They're disappointing. You can point your fingers in every direction with them and everyone is culpable. I too, I have no idea why Jonathan Kuminga plays barely 30 minutes. He's 21. Uh, I promise you he'll be okay if he plays 33 minutes. You know, like it's it's like I'm not con- like I get it with Draymond coming off of the layoff and they're trying to figure out what's the appropriate amount of time given uh, him not playing basketball and where he is at in his career. Uh, and that stuff's frustrating. But if that was why they lost, it'd be more straightforward. It's not just that it's it's the veterans. It's the margins of the roster. It, it's the front office. It's the coaching. It's all of it and that's that's kind of where my frustration is looking at this this whole thing you know that there's there's something for everyone to to come away with here yeah it's not easy to be this mediocre when you've got a player like Steph Curry on your team trust me I know I've been dealing with this rooting for the Lakers over the course of the last few years (laughs) and there is plenty of blame to go around I mean you know you mentioned Steph and Draymond it was two mistakes they made at the end of that game on that baseline out of bounds play there was a, a back screen for Kevin Herter headed towards that strong side corner and Steph died on the screen. And when he died on the screen, Draymond got kind of put in a position where he had to make a choice. And now uh, you could make the case that you'd make Kevin Herter take a drifting three to his right sure. when he had just missed one above the break a few minutes ago pretty badly. Uh, I think that that's probably the right decision, but then that's the point is you, there's blame to go for both of them, right? Like Steph dies on the screen and then doesn't peel off to switch on to Sabonis and Draymond Green makes a call to chase the shooter rather than the diver. And you end up giving up the lead changing basket. And then on the other end of the floor there again, like, I think you're right. Like, I think as soon as Steph was in that position where the, the, the blitz of the ball screen was kind of trailing him where he's kind of running away from the rim and both guys yeah. are kind of pursuing from behind at that point, it's like, call the timeout because like, even if Steph does manage some crazy reverse pivot drop and, and off to Draymond, by the way, there's that's not the problem. Time. And that's the problem with Steph because he's absolutely capable of hitting a stupid low percentage shot in any situation. Right. But, you know, getting back to your point, it's, it's just, it's left and right with this team. It's it's just frustrating to go into it right now. I, I, on the one hand, you can look at this game and I have the box score in front of us. And uh, yeah, I don't know how much longer the Looney Sarge combination is going to start. At least we know a fair amount of that is just Draymond not being cleared to play full starters minutes mixed in with, uh, you know, they should probably start Kuminga, but Steve is uh, not the cuddliest guy with the younger players. So maybe they get those guys into it and they get better. Usually just playing your best players tends to lead to better results. And to your point, not a team that can play strength in numbers, 11 man rotation, everyone playing 28 minutes. Like it's a, uh, you know, CYO or something. It's going to have to be one of those teams where your main guys carry the way going forward. But also looking at it, I'm just sitting here going, 
how much upside is there really to this Warriors roster as you look at it right now? Well, that's the tough part because like Steph is by every measure having somewhat of a down season. I would say that belief plays a role in that. I think he's frustrated. I think that that's yeah. a significant part in it. Uh, Draymond, for instance, like we talked about, like uh, like the like Sarge Looney in a front court is. I texted you this during the game, but I think that's probably the slowest front court started by a serious basketball team in in a game when they had better options. Probably in five years that I've been watching, like we're we're going way back to to some pretty old teams to find starting lineups that are that slow in the front court. And when you mm-hmm. combine that with Steph and Clay, who at this phase in their career, like they're certainly not, you know deer and fox fast in the backcourt right like it just there's like a certain uh you know mendoza line so to speak where you sure. dip below that and it just becomes really difficult then you factor in the matchup we're talking about a king's team who plays five out basketball and has a ton of team speed and ball handling and shooting on the floor and it's just it's trouble and to the point about the kind of the whole uh concept of 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 like uh your margin for error they got boat raced to start the game then they got boat race to start the third quarter with that same group on the floor before they had to make as a boat race is aggressive, but they lost those minutes convincingly. Like that's, that's they, you're digging yourself themse- a hole. Put themselves in a five to 10 point hole to start both of those quarters. And, and to tie your point together, they're not good enough to, to just spot teams. This isn't 2015. This isn't 2016 where it's like, it's cool. We're going to put a 20 point run on you later. Yeah, and to into the to the original point about the the stars, it's like when you say they're not good enough, like that's part of the thing. It's like Steph hasn't been playing very well, but like how much of that is associated to the circumstances around the season? Draymond Green, you know, hasn't been able to start, has been away from the team, but how much does his contribution to that kind of like contribute to the situation around the team? And it's like there's a version of this. It's got Lakers fans have been talking like this forever. It's like, oh, what if we had played D'Angelo Russell and 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 Austin Reeves sure. and Jared Vanderbilt all season? Maybe everything would have been better. And it's like, yeah, but that's not what happened. And generally speaking, I think I think you'd agree with me for the most part. A team's character is is what their record shows you. And like even with Lakers optimism, I've said the same thing to him. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, this team has potential. And I'd say the same thing about Steph and Draymond. And I'd say the same thing about it. Like you and I have talked about leaning into a Steph Clay, Kamingo, Wiggins, Draymond lineup and what that might mean. And there's certainly that potential there. But at a certain point. You need to zoom out, and there needs to be like a 20 to 25 game span where you look awesome. You just that has to happen at some point. There is no such thing as the 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 500 team who just kind of hits their ceiling when they get to the postseason. There's got to be some stretch of right. continuity, of consistency, of forming good habits, and like I mean, like what, one thing we haven't brought up at all yet is the defense was god awful in this game, like. <laughs> The, the the specifically in transition like 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 the kings were just getting these head uh, like these straight line kind of transition pushes that were immediately putting the warriors in rotation and they were quickly giving up weak side baskets their closeouts aren't sharp right now they're letting shooters get too comfortable like i'm a big believer that you know we talked about this uh, with the deer and fox shot but like even with harrison barnes like yeah, there's some tough ones in there, but that dude got a lot of wide open catch and shoot right, threes too. Right. That stuff is connected. You're letting guys feel comfortable, and like so, they, they, there's a, there's just so there's a ton of room to improve, but there's a ton that needs to get done to get to that point, and so that's what can be discouraging. Let me paint the uh, the counter case to to what you're saying. Uh, not that I disagree with anything you're saying, but it's impossible to judge the Warriors 
without Draymond Green. Like they're they're not a relevant team without Draymond or without Steph. Draymond is the key to them being good defensively. Not that they were in any way good defensively tonight, but in theory, if they're going to improve on that end, it starts with Draymond. Uh, it's certainly not happening with him missing over 50% of the season, which was the case up till tonight. Uh, and then on the offensive end, you know, same could be said for Steph. Uh, if I was to paint an optimist case for the Warriors, while well, tonight sucked and it did feel like eight other games they lost this year where you're just like, come on, man, single possession. Can you not just close the game out? I don't think I can judge this team until I see them play, as you said, and I don't even want to say 20 or 25. Give me 10 to 15 straight games with yeah, Steph and Draymond. Let's start with like 10. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> let's, let's, let's start building around Steph and Draymond and see what it is. Jonathan Kuminga has been the lone bright spot on this season. Uh, and we were probably going to lead talking about him, but, you know, the game ended the way it did. Uh, and, and just kind of like how he's kind of forcing the issue in the way that you would hope a young player would, where it's just like, Steve, I know he wasn't your top priority, but he kind of should be going forward just because you certainly don't have five better players than him. I don't think you have three better players than him at this point. Um, and, and, and those sort of things like, you know, it's we're over halfway into the season. This is game 42 for the Warriors. They've had a disjointed season. My, my, my optimist cope take here is let's see what happens over the next 15 games. And I don't know that they have enough time to do that with the trade deadline coming through, but it's kind of where we're at with them. Yeah, it's it's interesting because like that's been the story of this entire season is weighing mm -hmm. Jonathan Kaminga's future against mm -hmm. any potential trade return. And what's ironic is as the season has gone by, like both factors there have just kind of delineated further and further. Like, for instance, Kaminga's just shown more and more upside. And the trade pool has gotten thinner and thinner as yeah. guys like Siakam have gone off the table. And so like an OG and Anobi has gone off the table. And so it's kind of interesting. I pitched, I, I was asked by Warriors fans on my show last week, like, just like, okay, Siakam's off the table. Like, what can you do? And I, and I just was thinking, and I was like, okay, I got to come up with like something here. And like the, uh, the one thing that I came up with that was like somewhat interesting to me as an option is like, what if you call up Brooklyn? What if you offer him Kaminga, Moody, and Wiggins, and you ask for Mikhail Bridges and Dorian Finney-Smith? And essentially there, you're trading the long-term upside of Kaminga for more of a bridge player in the form of Mikhail Bridges, and you get yourself clear guys at the three and four to put between Draymond Green and Klay Thompson. And But like as interesting as, as that is, there's a small chance that the Nets would be interested. There might even have to be draft compensation involved. And it just seems pretty unlikely to begin with. And so as that, that gap has formed between the available trade targets and Jonathan Kaminga's kind of rise, it's kind of put yourself in a situation where you have no choice but to kind of cling to Jonathan Kaminga and, and hope that his long-term potential can kind of come sooner than later. But at the end of the day, he's 21 years old. And so that's where it gets tough. And you and I talked uh, in the text message thread, but like, one of the things you know that you're going to see in a postseason run is double teams sent towards Jonathan Kaminga. He struggled with that tonight down the stretch. He had two he had a play where he got stripped going middle and a double team came. And then on that final possession, there was late help from Sabonis that he didn't see that knocked him off balance and caused him to lose control of the basketball. And then the playing off of him at the three-point line. And so that's where I, I think like 
I'm a big believer in Jonathan Kaminga's long-term upside, but I do not view him as a bridge player. I do not view him as a guy who's going to be impactful sure. enough in the postseason but, right away to bring the, that championship potential upside, if that makes sense. No, it does. And then, and, and that's where I have to take a step back and go, are they really a Mikael Bridges away from a title? And that's the depressing conversation because when I watch them, look, I'm going to believe that Steph and Draymond and Clay can produce in high leverage basketball moments relative to the rest of the league because they've proven it for over a decade. But I'm just looking at the rest of this roster and I'm going, I don't know, man. I don't know that they're that close. And if my answer does not become a unequivocal yes, then the way I view that question changes and I might take the more pragmatic approach to, I don't know, man, he had another 30 plus tonight on 12 from 19 for the field. <laughs> he was so he was good tonight. Un unguardable. Uh, to your point, like there's subtleties that need to improve for him to be an impact playoff player in May and June. Uh, newsflash, true of every 21-year-old. Uh, mm -hmm. but when you just see the rapid growth like that, and when you see that the rest of the roster feels so far away, it does make you less and less interested in these deadline deals involving Kuminga, unless it's for the most obvious, like, oh, wow, we can go get Giannis, you know, or so, so, something like nonsensical that's not really on the table. Um, and I don't really know how to process that in, in regards to, how you view the Warriors going the rest of the season, but they're under 500 through 42 games. And I just watched the two most veteran players on this team throw away a game at the end of it. And I'm not going to put it completely on them. Uh, I kind of feel like if they didn't start their slowest two bigs and get into a 15 point hole, they may not have had to be in a single possession game to end it. But, you know, it, it does it is increasingly feeling like a lost year in some ways. Yeah. And, and, and again, that, that's my, that's my kind of perspective and offering that trade as, as mm -hmm. a, as an option is like, if I had to try to conceptualize some mm -hmm. form of all in trade, there's not a lot of options. That's just the reality. Right. And, and, and you know, the, the feeling you just demonstrated about the, uh, 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 that the the two main veterans kind of letting you down at the end of the game. It's exactly how I felt after the Brooklyn Nets game the other night. I'm like, sure. yeah, they choked this thing away, and people can get mad at Darvin Ham all they want, but LeBron and AD were trash in the second half of that game. And so, like, at a certain point, like, you almost reach a point where it gets complicated to to bet on that again. But then there's like also this like there's like this history element where you're like, it's sure. Steph. And it's LeBron, it's Anthony Davis, it's Draymond. And you're like, there's this like, there's something, it's almost like a, it's almost like just like a, a an emotional kind of like basketball feeling where you're like, we got to give it one last shot, you know? And yeah. that's where, that's, that's where it gets, it's, it gets convoluted. But at the end of the day, like, that's what you're weighing. And as, as I've said, like the better and better Kaminga gets and the fewer, the fewer, the trade options that are out there, it just becomes abundantly clear that like, 
you might be more interesting and 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 it, hell, you might be just as good right now with Kaminga in, in the short term. And so as that at that point, it, it like can you imagine how devastating it would be for this franchise if you let go of Jonathan Kaminga and you get sure. back some some upgrade and then you know Steph shoots 36% from three in a second round series and you lose. And then you're like, shit, what do we do now? You know what I mean? So it, it is convoluted. I'm just saying like, these things are always complicated. And like, here's the thing. You can love Jonathan Kaminga and truly believe he's going to be a star, which by the way, I do. But at the same time, you can acknowledge like, when's the last time you saw a 21-year-old go into the postseason and be deeply impactful? I mean, literally last year we watched the postseason and it's like, here's Miami and here's Denver, all these veteran players on the floor. Who was the one guy in that series who struggled? Michael Porter Jr. And he was 25, by the way. But he was the youngest of all the guys in that group. The playoffs are a man's game. It's just that that's just what it is. And so that's that's the thing that's tough is like by the by the time Jonathan Kaminga gets to the point where he can be an all-star level impact for three playoff rounds, Steph might be 39 years old. And so that's what makes this way more convoluted than just, you know, a yeah, it's, conversation it's, of value. It's going to evoke emotions from people, you know, uh, but it is a complicated question. It's it's mm-hmm. a little it's a little more complicated than we really like this young guy. We're going to hold on to him because there are costs that come to it, to your point, like he may not be the guy you think he can be in the playoffs till he's 25, which by the way, would be ahead of schedule for most players. Just yeah. clear. And Steph will be 39 then. So it's, it's not that clear. I, I don't know. The, the more I watch this team though, I just don't see a move at the deadline that makes me want to, get you know trade him i i'd rather uh, build in context of him when we get to the trade deadline at least based upon who we think is available that may change though like those options may change but that's where i'm at steph curry makes you believe you can do anything and the curry 11s are specifically designed with the ultimate bounce grip and stability to allow everyone to do their thing New generations of ball players are coming up and showing the basketball world that the old rules do not apply. The future is exciting, fast, positive, and hungry. Next NBA season, rock with your favorite player and rep his shoes on and off the court. Steph's 11th signature shoe steps into the second decade of his sneaker career, pulling colorways, inspirations from the wonders of a positive and modernized future on and off the court. Take these kicks with you. When you leave your scrimmage and rep Under Armour wherever you go, do your thing, change the game. Curry 11, future Curries, now available at currybrand.com. Let me complete that thought that we were kind of dancing around right before the end there. Let's say I tell you, all right, so Steph Curry's clearly on this team. (laughs) Draymond Green, I believe, is still the second most important player on this team until someone randomly sprouts out. He just does too many things for you defensively. His two-man game with Steph's too important. Um, And then I might define Jonathan Kuminga as the third most important piece on this team, uh, just based on his rapid growth, his ability to attack, just all the different things he can do. So if I'm telling you those three players are off the table, what are you looking at in terms of even the type of players you'd want to add 
to this roster. And I'm not talking about to make a run right now per se, but like trade deadline off season. I'm giving you that as my untouchables. What are you looking at roster wise? How are you looking to build a team around that? I still look at a consistent forward that you can slot somewhere there in the three or four. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you this. If mm -hmm. we, let's say that we designate Jonathan Kaminga as untouchable, which I think you and I are both kind of on that page now. Sure. Untouchable and for anything but a superstar. Untouchable let's, let's, for anything but a superstar. Yeah. Okay. So if we acknowledge that, would you be willing to part with someone like Moses Moody in pursuit of a player like a Dorian Finney-Smith? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think uh, Moses Moody's hurt right now, but given his spot in the rotation, yeah, he's happy to move him. <laughs> that was that would that be an example because because like because here's the thing they're like at a certain point because the Lake the Lakers are kind of in a similar position where it's like okay sure. the D'Angelo Russell's playing really well so if you take D'Angelo Russell off the table suddenly that takes you out of any sort of conversation for the Dejounte Murray types and, and and things like that so now you're looking at smaller moves on the margins for someone like a mm -hmm. Tyus Jones or you know like that that type of move and at a certain point then I I get to the same point that you brought up with with the Warriors which is like okay if we can agree that they're not a big move away then how does suddenly a small move make sense you know what I mean it's almost sure. like it's almost like at that point you're trying to appease Steph because that's the important part here that we haven't really like addressed which is like let's say the front office goes hey guys uh we don't think you have it anymore so we're gonna go ahead and stand pat and we're going to make sure Jonathan Kaminga starts. And when Moody comes back, we're going to put him into the starting lineup for Wiggins. And we're going to lean into our youth. And we're going to go into this development path. And we're going to we're going to try to move forward and try to expand our 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 future potential. Okay. At what point does Steph raise his hand and go like, "Hey, I don't want to be a part of that." Sure. You know, and like but we and also that, have that's the part that's complicated. Yeah, and, and and I don't I don't actually think we're dealing with that, but I, I want to take it back to like kind of your point which was you pointed out someone like dorian finney smith i get what you're saying so like taking a step back we're, what you're really saying is they need an upgrade from andrew wiggins they need andrew wiggins yes to uh either turn back the clock to 2022 or they need to find a player who can be somewhere between that player and what we're getting right now in terms of front court yeah, and I think like one of the nicer things about making that type of smaller move on the margins mm -hmm. is like I actually do think Andrew Wiggins is trying to get out of this mess that he's in. And I like a lot of the stuff that I'm seeing. I thought he did an excellent job guarding DeJounte Murray wasn't at the point of tonight. attack last night. Yeah. I thought tonight he had, he had a massive shot at the end of the third quarter and then another one in the fourth quarter on the wing. Um, in general, I, I think I think Wiggins... It's, to put it simply, I think any potential improvement in him over the course of the season supersedes anything that you could potentially get back from him uh, uh, at the deadline, especially given the fact that I would imagine with his contract, he's not exactly viewed as a super sure. high-quality asset, right? So It's, more, it's so, more of a dump than a uh, than like a positive, you know, like you getting a better player in return. Exactly. But then the flip side is, is like, how much do you think a guy like Wiggins... So let's say you do make a move for Dorian Finney-Smith. Like, do you have to keep him on the bench anyways because Wiggins can't handle coming off the bench? You know what I mean? Like, there's that I would, part too. <laughs> I would assume uh, if they decided to bring in a player like that, it would be in context of them deciding to move Wiggins 
even if it was just for a salary dump in one of those, like it's not working. It's time to make a move type of things. So um, that's the context I'm seeing it. I still think this team also needs another playmaker. Like that. What, what's tough is uh, regardless of my framing of Kuminga being untouchable and Draymond and Steph, I think when I watch this team, there's too much on Steph's shoulders. There's too much on uh, 29-year-old Steph's shoulders, much less 35-year-olds. Like Teams don't win with only one guy who can create their own shot, at least not at a high level. Uh, and then secondarily, they do need just another impact front court player, whether it's a 6'8 rangy wing or a 7-foot center. I, in context of Draymond and Kuminga, you probably want someone who's more of a shooter offensively than anything. Uh, and and that's kind of where I'm at when I look at this roster because like we get we get this game's a perfect synopsis. Dario Sarch does everything they want offensively, but he's just too slow to be anything more than an eighth man off the bench. You can't play him for defensive reasons more often than that. Uh, and then Andrew Wiggins, he shot the ball decently well tonight. But the drop-off offensively has been so problematic that, like, even though he does represent a higher defensive upside, it's hard to continue playing him. Uh, Brandon Pajemski, who I love and I think could be a really good player for this team, he's closer to 6'3 than he's 6'5. Is he really a guy who can be a 40-minute player next to Steph? Probably not. Clay Thompson, who's been the ultimate two-way 3-and-D guy, you know, two two serious leg surgeries later into his mid thirties, not that defensive force. And so these are kind of the things where I'm just like, man, they need to find a couple guys who can be impact players. And that doesn't mean, uh, you know, Giannis or like someone like a superstar. It just means guys who can make a serious impact in one to two facets of the game. Andre Godala would consider being, a serious impact player in his day. And he never scored more than 10 points a game. What do you think about like a Tyus Jones? Uh, I mean, I think he helps the team, but like, no, no, I need guys. I need like, here's my fundamental issue with the Warriors team. They're smart guys are generally not athletic enough. And their athletic guys are generally not like smarter skilled enough. And so they're, Faced with constantly trying to mix and match, like, do we get Sarich out there? Oh, wow, he's getting cooked by De'Aaron Fox. Or do we put the more athletic player out there and, wow, we have no floor space against Steph is getting trapped and throwing the ball away, you know? So it's like they need to find players who can actually fit five-man lineups around a guy like Steph Curry, which is, again, what everyone wants. But go down your list of contenders. Every one of your contenders – has multiple of those players. Uh, it could be, you know, a, it could be as simple as like a KCP, you know, or, or guys like that. Like that is kind of the name of the game. And let, let's be honest, the Warriors during the peak of their run, that was what made them so hard to beat. You have no one to pick on. They have no central weakness. Yeah, a couple guys might not be the best shooters, but they still serve a role on offense. Um, yeah. I mean, they, they just, they really. Wiggins just was to... supposed to be that guy. That's exactly. what sucks. 
Wiggins was supposed to be that guy. And he has uh, been that guy in the past, which is even more worrisome because he's 20. He's going to turn 29 next month. He's not old, you know? Yeah, he's got, he had this like, there was this thing that he would do in the 2022 playoff run where um, even above and beyond the catch and shoot threes on the break, it was like a closeout attacking game. It was kind of, kind of like a lot of what like Paul George is doing with the Clippers right now, where it's like, mm -hmm. it was like quick little like, King of the court style, like one or two dribble attacks for like a quick little rip through, take the bump on the shoulder, hit the little floater over the top or like the take the the, the shoulder and spin off of it into a short little fadeaway over his right shoulder. That Like that kind of stuff is all gone. And like th that that's the part that that that's specifically frustrating is him going from being somebody that it was one of the most impactful role players on a championship team. Cause what you're talking about that KCP archetype. And I'd, I'd throw Aaron Gordon into that mix. Sure. I throw, uh, I thought Andrew I mean, the Knicks, the Knicks with OG right now. is like the, the, the hot example, but like, like he's basically the, the apex version of that mm -hmm. archetype for sure. You know? And for the record, that's so. why, like when I was trying to conceptualize a version of an all in trade, that's why I came up with Mikhail bridges because like I view Mikhail bridges as like one of the, yeah. I think he's almost miscast as a primary initiator, the way that he is a lot of the time in Brooklyn. And, and you've seen what happened as he did that too. Like his defense took a little bit of a dip. His efficiency took a little bit of a dip. It started to expose some of his playmaking weaknesses, but like that was what he did on the Suns. On the Suns, he was the dude who was attacking off of the weak side in those advantage situations created by the Chris Paul pick and rolls, and he was killing teams, not just with catch-and-shoot threes, but those little drifting fadeaways through the middle and attacking closeouts and stuff. like that. To, it's, it's almost like what you're describing is like a really high-level two-way role player. It, like the, yeah. guy, the guy that just kind of ties together any lineup with his ability to do multiple things on both sides of the floor. Yeah, and not be a weakness. Like, mm -hmm. I think that's the thing that really stands out to me with this Warriors team. You almost take for granted those guys who are kind of like jack of all, master of none on mm -hmm. offense, where you're just like, well, they just kind of, they do a little bit of everything, but they're, you know, they're not Clay Thompson shooting the ball. They're not, you know, Jonathan Kuminga attacking the basket. It's like, well, you know what, you know what they also aren't? They're not the guy who ever gets picked on. Yes. They're not the guy who ever gets left wide open. Or if they are left wide open, they will finish the play. So I, I, I feel like so much of playoff basketball, which is ultimately what we're alluding to here, is creating a lineup that doesn't have uh, a guy who can get picked on on either side of the court. Creating a lineup that doesn't, you know, Right now, teams leave Wiggins wide open because it's not that he can't shoot the ball, but it's at this point he just hasn't hit shots and people think he's in his own head about it. And until he proves he's not in his own head about it, he's going to get left wide open. You know, that's a thing. Or on the, on the flip side, oh, they're playing Sarich right now? Set a screen. I'm, I'm getting him on a switch right now. That's the playoffs right there. Avoiding having guys who are, uh, liabilities in that sort of way. Yeah, and was, the Warriors was, can't put together a five-man lineup that doesn't have one concession in one way or another, which is their fundamental issue. Yeah, the, the play that we talked about, the deer and fox pull up three over Sarge, like it was his eyes lit up. He, he literally, they were in semi-transition. Draymond and, and Sarge were kind of pointing at each other, like, "You going to get him? I'm going to get him." And then Sarge ended up taking him. And Jared Fox was like, "I'm shooting now." Like, like that. That that's what it is. It's it's so much of that it is a practice shot. It, it was a practice shot. And then now all of a sudden, like he's literally after he hits that shot, he's celebrating as he's walking down the floor. And so naturally as he goes Very up the floor. On the, 
Yeah, yeah. And so naturally, as he goes up for the next possession, he's feeling himself and he takes another one. And it, it, I think it, it's interesting because I think part of it, too, is we see a lot more switching when you get to the postseason, too, sure. as the physicality gets increased. Uh, a lot of teams are allowed to get away with more contact on screening actions, which makes it harder and harder to fight over the top, which puts you in a position where you end up with mismatches. And and, and then it's like the, it, it, and then I feel like what ends up happening is you can get away with it for small uh, for specific yeah. matchups. It's like, oh, we can get away with having this guy out here for this team or we can get away with right. having this guy out here for that team. But inevitably, you run into the Denver or the Golden State in 2022, and sure. essentially, they they have the talent to capitalize on that. And it's like, okay, you did a good job helping on that switch where the guy was compromised, but they have five good offensive players. And so when you ran that second defender over there, they started playing drive and kick basketball, and they got a wide-open shot for somebody who's good. It's no different than the Harrison Barnes three at the end of the third quarter. It started with a shaded double team of De'Aaron Fox, swing-swing, wide-open three for Harrison Barnes. Like That might work if you... If that ends in a Jared Vanderbilt three, but, but it's different when it's against a team that that uniquely brings the ability to com- contain you on the defensive end. And then when they're on offense, anytime you throw any sort of janky coverage at them, they've got guys who can beat you for it. And and, and to your point, no matter what you do, you will face that team by the time you get to the conference finals or the finals. Uh, just run through it like Denver. We saw him do it last year. I don't need to run through the names, but Aaron Gordon's the worst offensive player in their five-man lineup, and he just sits in the dunker spot because Jokic, it doesn't matter where he stands. You're putting two bodies on him, right? And then, you know, obviously, Jamal Murray, uh, Michael Porter, and and KCP go without saying. Uh, What about the Clippers? Clippers, James Harden, you're guarding him. Kawhi Leonard, you're guarding him, obviously. Paul George, you're guarding him. Norm Powell is the guy who you're considering helping off of and like you shouldn't because he can drill a shot in your face and that's he's been one of the just, best spot of players in the league this year like yeah, literally it, one of the very best because he's never played an easier role in his life he's usually <laughs> he's usually the guy who's coming in it's like all right now it's the norm Powell show that sort of thing and and you know i can go to the east boston they play everyone's a threat on boston everyone's a shooting threat on that team miami increasingly is putting together a team like that philly is like you just that's what's needed to be one of the final four the final two teams and you know you look at the warriors maybe one player and that lineup changes but it really does feel like it's more like two uh yeah it's it is what it is at this stage sleeper fantasy is a fantasy sports plus real money gaming app focused on bringing people together through the sports and gaming world Sleeper has become the fastest organically growing fantasy platform in the world with over 5 million users. Think you know basketball? Then try your turn basketball knowledge into real money with Sleeper app, the ultimate fantasy sports app that can turn game day into a payday. Just download the Sleeper app and pick more or less on your favorite players with more stats and then keep going to the fantasy apps. Use promo code LIGHTYEARS and you'll get a $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply to Sleeper's Fantasy Cup. Use Once again, guys, use promo code LIGHTYEARS, and you'll get up to a $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use. Currently operational in over 25 states. Do you ever find buying tickets being tough? 
I, I know I've personally had my bad experiences. <laughs> <laughs> Game time is the only ticketing app that gives you complete peace of mind with your purchases. See the view from your seat before you buy it so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. All in prices show your total up front so you can get in and get a great deal before you buy. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use the promo code LIGHTYEARS for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply again. Create an account, redeem code, promo code LIGHTYEARS for $20 off. Download the Game Time app, last minute tickets, lowest prices guaranteed. All right, let's get back to it. Um, Jason, how do you feel about taking a couple couple fan calls here and then we call it a night? Let's do it, man. Sounds like fun. Ellie Espers, what's up? Hear me? I can hear you. What's up, man? All right, well, yeah, what's up? Big fan of the show. Well, both of you are your show. I watch Jason a lot after games, and I watch this for therapy, I guess. Um, Appreciate it. Um, so I have a question like I was very I know like it was kind of on Steph the way we lost that game where, you know he lost the ball should have probably called a timeout but I'm just wondering why are we setting the screen with Draymond when we're not trying to play four on freeze we're just inviting a double team just kind of my question to you guys if you have any insight on that it's a good question I appreciate the call I appreciate that you listen I'll take my first pass at it Draymond's the best decision maker on the team. Anytime you involve him in the ball screen, it's kind of like Steph gets space, he gets a shot. If not, you trust Draymond to take the ball uh, and find something better out of that situation. Doesn't always work that way, as we saw tonight. But in general, like, what's a better action for the Warriors than the Steph Draymond two man game? That's that's kind of my point. Is it, I would say the same thing. Like you're playing the results there a little bit. I mean, here's the thing. Like, it's easy after the fact to be like, oh, uh, just have Steph run ISO, therefore there's no second defender. Or, hey, have Jonathan Kaminga, the guy who scored all the other points down the stretch to set the screen. But I think that probably also ends up in a double. A lot of times, too, those double teams, especially when they're very aggressive like that, the pass out of it is a lot harder than it looks. And one of the things, too, that can happen is when you make that pass, it gets tipped, and then it takes another two seconds for somebody to even get control of the basketball. It's it, it, To me, it's a hindsight kind of thing. For the record, uh, the vast majority of those like late-game possessions like that are pretty low percentage in general. Um, and again, I, I, I kind of go with Sam. I think like... I think, like, to put it up, put it two two ways. First of all, it's the Steph Draymond two man game. I trust that action. Second of all, I think of all the things to focus on that game. That would be the like a. I think it'd be a mistake to focus on just that singular play when I thought the game was lost in a half dozen different ways. Sure. Um, and I think I think in a lot of times in games like that, we tend to focus too much on a singular play when that's just what happens in basketball games. Yeah. Anytime you um, this. I feel like this is a lame answer, but it's the truth. Anytime you get down to the last possession, it's kind of a 50-50 proposition. Good teams good teams tend to blow a lot of teams out. That's what happens. Good teams <laughs> yeah. end games before they get into those situations. The Warriors have been in clutch time, so a five-point game in either direction, more than any team in the NBA this year. And lo and behold, what are they? A 500 team. Uh, 31 it, it, games. Wow. Right. You know, it's like, it's, and I think part of my frustration here is like, man, 
a lot of games have ended like this. A lot of games have ended like this, but it's just, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, you know what uh, avoids these kind of freak endings, just getting the game done two minutes earlier, you know, having it be 128, 116 with a minute 30 left. And then you don't have to worry about, okay, is Steph going to hit a hero shot at the end? Like he can, he's as good as anyone at doing it, but it's still putting you down to a single shot. So I don't know. That's that's my uh, that's my cope for dealing with what was a very unbecoming play for players that veteran. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're moving forward. Let's get whole vibe up here. There we go. Great, it's an honor to to be able to to be up here. My my pleasure. Uh, Appreciate you, man. I just I kind of wanted to highlight also off the comment because. I understand it's a singular play, and we we I think Kerr and Curry have had a history of talking about how the team needs to get the job done well before the last one or two minute mark. Absolutely, but I I think that kind of subconsciously that kind of weakens the ability to execute these X's and O's in the last minute, as we saw in issues in the Lakers series when that high screen with Draymond was happening and it wasn't being effective on the four and three with Draymond rolling to the basket. It's the most strongest and effective play that we've used in the playoffs. Not as often. I, I, I'd have to go back to the play specifically to see how Steph handled the double team. But that's something you kind of should be anticipating at that moment, which is going to lead to an extraordinary or um, anomaly type of pass that needs to happen in that moment, which quite frankly has been one of Steph's biggest weaknesses. I don't necessarily agree with that from the standpoint that I think, I think Steph, uh, at least from my personal experience covering him this year is more often than not been pretty damn good down the end of games. Um, I think, I think you mentioned the game plan piece. Like I, I saw a lot of fans talking about a timeout. You call a timeout. Guess what Mike Brown's doing? He's scheming Traffic. away. He's scheming a way to get the ball out of Steph's hands. And like what specifically happened on the play from what I remember, and I haven't watched a replay of it other than just the one or two replays on the broadcast. As he was dragging the blitz towards the sideline, he tried to use a retreat dribble through his legs to get some separation so that he could whip a pass back around to Draymond. And when he went to make the retreat dribble, he was in too tight of quarters and he ended up dribbling the ball off of his foot is what it looked like happened on that play. And I think that's, you know, there's, there's an upside and a downside to not calling a timeout. The upside is you are catching the defense not set, typically. And so in that chaos, you might have a better chance finding a, a gap that might otherwise not be there. But the downside is, is like as an offense, you're also a little bit unorganized. And one of the things that happened, so for instance, Jonathan Kaminga is the, one of the, the other player who was in a rhythm down the stretch of that game he was spotting up in the weak side corner away from the blitz. So like he was completely in a position where he could not help at all. And that's one of those things where like, maybe if you call a timeout, Kaminga's in the action, right? Maybe Kerr puts Kaminga in the set to begin with. Right. And so like, there's always that upside and downside going both ways, but that's where we're talking about playing the results. Because what if Steve Kerr doesn't call the timeout 
What if uh, Steph does turn the corner on the trap just because he gets there a split second sooner? And what if he ends up, you know, generating a high quality shot and they win the game? You know what I mean? So like, again, that's why, and, and when I talk about like, like uh, focusing on the bigger picture, it's more a process thing. Like if you're a basketball team and that happens to you, it makes more sense to focus on all the things under your control. For instance, the previous possession when you botch a a, a a flare screen action with Sabonis and, and Kevin Herter. That's one of those things where you watch the tape and you make sure that doesn't happen again. That might actually win you a game in the future, whereas a lot of those chaotic final possessions could go either way, just based on the chaos of it all. Makes sense. Makes sense. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing that. Appreciate you, man. Have a great evening. We're going to end it. I'm going to give my guy Ken one more shot to come up here just because he's, he's loyal been through and i want to hear what ken has to say so give one more shot ah there he is i knew i knew ken wouldn't fail me two for two <laughs> sir hey guys can you hear me i didn't want to pull a geo there <laughs> how you doing i'm good i'm good jason great uh great hearing what you have to say about the warriors um i got a couple points first of all jace as you evaluate the warriors and i've watched your show over the years couple of years at least i think you're missing where clay's coming from the mentality the attitude of clay those of us that watch the warriors close we watch steph take take a seat on the bench when he comes back from an injury we watch draymond coming off the bench right now kevin kavon's come off the bench many times uh wiggins has come off the bench Clay is unwilling to come off the bench. And I think that's indicative of a very large problem on the Warriors. And I think you should know that as an NBA observer that doesn't necessarily dig in on the Warriors the way we do, that's important information. So go ahead. Go ahead, please. Well, for starters, I, I say this on my show all the time, and I mean it sincerely. Like uh, covering the whole league, it makes it impossible to ever know a team as much as someone who covers a team uh, individually. The reason why I know that is I covered the Lakers solely before I started working for the volume. So trust me, I totally get that. And for the record, that's why I value that perspective so much. Like you, there are going to be things you could teach me about the Warriors that I could never learn, even if I watch hours and hours and hours of film, because you just are so intimately involved with them. Um, it's funny, Sam and I were talking during the game about how like there's a case to be made that even because I think we can all agree that like Draymond Wiggins Kaminga is your best three, four, five uh, in that front court spot. And obviously Steph is your one. So like that two spot is the one that's in question. And Sam and I were talking like there's a case to be made that Podziemski deserves that spot. Sure. You or know, they're, they're exactly. Exactly. And so, yeah, Moses would be an interesting option if you wanted to especially go bigger. And it, there's something to be said about that key offensive rebound the Kings had down the stretch, the one where Steph's butt landed on the line. Like, that was Kaminga, Wiggins, uh, Draymond on the floor, and they couldn't secure uh, a, a couple sure. of defensive rebounds in that sequence. And so maybe another big body there that's a better, younger athlete with a higher motor could help you. And to your point, like, to the individual sacrifice is such an important part of a, of a basketball team reaching their ultimate potential. And uh, if you're telling me that that's what's happening with clay, where he's unwilling to make that sort of sacrifice that obviously is going to stand in the way. I think, I think, you know, when he's on the floor, he's, he's going to give everything he's got, but you know, it's a question that we've discussed at length. Yeah. You know, how many minutes a game does clay have to give his utmost 
personally, I think it's more like 24 rather than 34. And I'd rather see Moses for 10 of those minutes a game. Let's just start with that, you know, regarding trades. Gosh, Kaminga. I mean, unless you can get like Kevin Durant for him or something like that. <laughs> I'm serious. Unless you can get someone like Kevin Durant for Kuminga, you keep Kuminga. I, I mean, it's hard to argue given how rapidly he's improving. Exactly. On a week to week basis. Like, unless the player you're acquiring really changes your title odds, like, you kind of almost want to see what you have here a little more. You put right. enough time in, that sort of thing. Uh, the chat mentions Lowry Markinen. Like, I would consider him, yes, on like the line of demarcation of a player who I think is good enough to let go of Kuminga right now, but like anyone less than that. Uh, no, so, but like, yeah, it's, I don't know, man. They're, they're toiling in mediocrity. Uh, we got two weeks to the trade deadline as of today. Ken, I appreciate you calling in. You have a great evening. You got a minute. All right. Get one more in, and then we'll call it a night. (laughs) Chris Paul for Gordon Hayward. Eh. Solves a lot of issues about the way the roster is built. Does it, though? He's match. Does it? Does it solve issues? Like, because Gordon Hayward's slow. Uh, He is better than Dario Saric. No, no, no. He shouldn't take Dario's minutes, but Dario should be the four, right? But Gordon Hayward's Hayward's kind of a four these days. Three, four. Sure. The case the case would be Gordon Hayward is a more skilled offensive player than most of the players on the Warriors roster. That would be the case. And 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 he's six eight, which is the other issue the Warriors run into because like Chris Paul's very skilled. He's just five eleven, you know. So but I got a better one for you, Ken. How about how about how about you get him on the buyout market? Oh, are, are the Warriors yeah, even? I, I think the Warriors aren't even capable, capable of signing. Right. Yeah, as as long as he's I'd have over to double the t- veteran mid level exception. Yeah, or something like that. yeah. yeah right, right, right. The yeah. new the it's new uh, the new CBA's like second apron rules are just a new wrinkle of complication to me understanding everything. Mm-hmm. I feel like trade one far off first for like seventeen seconds, and then <laughs> make. make Hey, you're getting creative. You're getting creative. I like it. I like it. I like it. All adjustments. We need each player to be a second round pick better. About four of them, you know, and then we got a shot. I do agree. Ken, have a great evening. Ken, thanks for supporting the show, man. I appreciate you, man. Jason, I appreciate you as always. Everyone, check out Hoops tonight. Anything else you want to plug? I think we're good, man. Yeah, check out the show on uh, on YouTube at Hoops Tonight and then obviously on Twitter at underscore JasonLT. Sam, this was fun, man. We're going to have to do it again soon. We will. Appreciate you. Chapman, welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. 
Listen wherever you get your podcasts.